Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. When you find yourself going through extreme emotional agony or mental anguish, to which attribute of God do you turn to find comfort? And strength. When you find yourself going through excruciating physical pain, to what attribute of God do you turn to find comfort and strength? Do you turn to His compassion? Do you turn to His loving kindness? Do you turn to His mercy? Where did Jesus turn when He was experiencing tremendous emotional and mental stress and agony on the cross? when he was experiencing excruciating pain beyond our imagination as he was on the cross. To what attribute of God did he turn for comfort and strength? I believe that Jesus not only quoted from Psalm 22 on the cross, but I believe he quoted the entire psalm. And in that psalm, we see one attribute of God exalted and lifted up. Look at verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet, you are holy. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. In Jesus' greatest hour of agony and turmoil and anguish, He turned to the holiness of God to find comfort and strength. Not the compassion. Not the loving kindness. Not the mercy of God. But to the holiness of God. How can the holiness of God Give us the strength and comfort that we need in our times of devastation and anguish and turmoil? Well, before we finish today, you will understand how that holiness of God can bring you the comfort and strength that brought the Lord Jesus. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 4. We're continuing our study of the awesome holiness of God. You remember last week, I told you that the holiness of God cannot be defined in simply one term, but there are three aspects to the holiness of God that we must keep in mind. Like the facets of a diamond, you must look at His holiness in its fullness. Now we saw one aspect last week. And I said God's holiness was His infinite superiority and separateness. And the word infinite in the Webster Dictionary means without bounds. It means extending beyond measure or comprehension. Endless. Immeasurable. And that's God's superiority. It is without measure. It is beyond our human comprehension or measure. God is a totally separate being. He is the Creator and we are the creatures. There is the simplest life form known to man called the amoeba. We all studied it, didn't we, in biology. The one-celled creature. Simplest life form we know on earth. 
The most complex life form we know on earth is a human being. And the difference between you and the amoeba is not even measurable compared to the difference between you and holy God. He is inseparably different and above us. He is total otherness. And God's infinite superiority and separateness demands that we give Him the respect and all and reverence due His name by our absolute surrender to Him and obedience to His Word. So that's the first aspect of God's holiness. Infinite superiority. Today, we're going to look at the second aspect of God's holiness. Now, the notes you have in your bulletin are not the notes for today. There was a mix-up. I will take responsibility for it. So, you'll need to jot down. First point, God's holiness is His perfect purity and absolute moral uprightness. Let's read together beginning in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, this scene into heaven. Immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne were there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had the face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Notice God is described as a jasper stone. Many scholars believe that that is the diamond of today. The jasper stone was clear and translucent. It represents God's purity and His perfect moral blamelessness. Majestic purity. Now let's explain and talk about God's purity. Let's look at it from from some different Aspects. Number one, God is so pure, He is not even tainted by the shadow of sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, says, God is light, and in Him is no darkness. God's light is the brilliance of His purity shining forth. That holy light is so brilliant, not even the shadow of sin can be cast upon Him. Sin in the Bible is represented as darkness. Now, how would you define darkness? If somebody said to you, what is darkness? Well, you couldn't say, well, it's just dark. 
Darkness is the absence of light. You go in a dark room and you flick on the light switch and the darkness is gone. Darkness in the Bible represents sin. Light in the Bible represents purity, righteousness, holiness. God's purity is so great, no darkness or even shadow of darkness can approach Him. You could easier cast a shadow on the sun than for sin to cast a shadow on the purity of God. Impossible. You can't even cast a shadow on a hundred watt light bulb, much less the sun. But in contrast, look at our impurity. Everything we do is not only tainted by the shadow of sin, but tainted by sin itself. Take, for instance, one of the most righteous things you can do, prayer. How often in your prayer times does your mind wander? How often in your prayer times do you find yourself thinking about something totally opposite or different than what you've been praying about? Your mind just takes off. How many times do impure thoughts come into your mind while you're praying? Take your Bible study, for example. How many times in your Bible study do you find your mind wandering off the subject of the Bible completely? How often do you find you have no desire, or very little desire, to study God's Word? So you see, though sin cannot even cast a shadow on the perfect purity of God, Everything you and I do, even the most righteous thing we do, is tainted by impurity and the shadow of sin is all over it. But our God is a holy God. Perfect impurity, immeasurable holiness. Secondly, God alone is absolutely, perfectly pure. We see that the created beings here, the heavenly beings, proclaim His holiness three times. And I told you last week that in the Hebrew language, to reach utmost emphasis, you repeat it. Twice is to really emphasize, but three times is the superlative. Holy, holy, holy is the greatest emphasis. God alone is absolute holiness and purity. Over in Revelation 15, We see a picture of the tribulation saints, those that have been killed during the time of the great tribulation at the hands of the Antichrist. And they have seen God pour forth His anger and His judgment on those who have had the sign of the Antichrist and those who have rejected Him. And these saints are singing the song of Moses. And listen to what they say in that song, beginning with verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. And all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been Revealed. They understood and proclaimed that God alone is holy. Now, to better understand God's purity, we must see it in comparison to something that is in a measure pure. Now, if you're going to determine the brightness of a light, you can't do so too well 
in a dark room. Say you have a flashlight and you go in a room that's totally dark and you turn on that flashlight. You can see that it's bright, but it's hard for you really to determine how bright it is in a dark room. But now, if you bring in one of those flashlights that you can buy at the the auto stores that claim to have a million (laughs) lamps of light, and you hold it up next to that flashlight, then you can see there's a great difference in the brightness of the one that you bought at the auto store and the one that you're holding in your hand, right? You can see a big difference. So if I want to talk to you about the purity of God, I cannot look at you and say, now let's describe God's purity in reference to you and to me. Because we're impure, we're dark. So let's talk about God's purity in reference to sinlessness. Now where do you and I have to go to find sinless beings? We have to go to heaven. We have to go to the angels. You see, the angels have who are in heaven have never sinned. Not in thought, not in word, not in deed. They have a measure of purity. But when we compare their purity to the purity of holy God, it's like comparing the light of that doorbell button to the light of the sun. Now, that doorbell button, you don't even see it in the daytime. At night, it shows up. It looks pretty bright. You can look around your neighborhood and see them. Because compared to darkness, it's bright. But when you compare it to the brightness of the sun, you don't even notice it. So it is with the purity of sinless angels compared to the absolute perfect purity of holy God. Isaiah gives us a glimpse into heaven in the sixth chapter of his book. We saw it last week. And we see that the holy angels, in their measure of purity, are so inferior to the purity of holy God that they must, with their wings, cover their faces in weakness and their feet in shame before the awesome purity of God. Look at what we read in Isaiah 6, beginning with verse 2. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. They had to cover their faces in shame before the glory and the holiness of a pure God, even though they were sinless. Look at what Job 4.8 says about the measure of purity that sinless angels have. It says, He puts no trust even in His servants, and against His angels He charges error. Even against the sinless angels, their purity is like error compared to the perfect purity of holy God. You see, as created beings, they love God as much as they can, but they don't give Him the infinite love He deserves. They're not able and capable of giving infinite honor and respect and love to holy God. Even before His perfect purity, they must cover their shame. Now, if sinless creatures must cover their faces in shame before the perfect purity of holy God, how much more must you and I, imperfect, impure humans, fall in shame and awe before the purity of God? Job goes on to say in this same passage, Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his Maker? 
He puts no trust even in His servants. And against His angels He charges error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. Oh, if sinless angels have to hide in shame before a holy God, how much more those of us that have been created out of dust must fall in fear and reverence before a holy God. Thirdly, God is so holy, so immeasurably pure, and morally perfect, He cannot stand to look at sin. Habakkuk tells us in his book in the first chapter, O you, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Scripture says that if we regard iniquity in our heart, He will not hear our prayers because He cannot look on sin. God told the people of Isaiah's day, your sins have caused a separation between me and you. God is absolutely free from any moral evil. He is perfectly righteous and just. Therefore, He cannot associate with sin, with uncleanness, with impurity at all. Sin is so repulsive to God that He had to turn His face away from the Lord Jesus Christ when He became sin for us on the cross. As great as God's love and mercy are, His holiness is greater. Because on the cross He turned His face away from the Lord Jesus and to that which response Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Holiness is His most excellent attribute. Now, if sin broke the fellowship between God the Father and God the Son, how much more will sin in our lives break our fellowship with God? Sin that is willful and intentional. Fourth, God's holiness means He always acts in total conformity to His perfect moral purity. He never does anything that's not morally pure and perfect. Psalm 89.14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. God's throne is that place from which His decrees go out, of which He orders the universe, of which He sovereignly acts. And the foundation of all of His decrees and acts are... Faithfulness and justice for the foundation of His throne is justice and righteousness. Everything He does is righteous. Everything He does is just. Perfectly so. Everything He does emanates from His perfect purity and moral uprightness. Everything He does is preceded by His loving kindness and His truth. All that God does is absolutely and perfectly and immeasurably pure and righteous. That's why in Revelation chapter 16, after God has poured out the seals of His wrath and the trumpets of His wrath on those who have rejected Him and followed the Antichrist, and He has poured out the beginning of the bowls of His wrath, and the first one was malignant sores that broke out on those who had rejected Him. The second bowl was 
poured out and the seas became as congealed blood, clotted blood, and all sea life died. The third bowl was poured out and all the rivers and waters on the earth became as blood. And to this an angel responded in Revelation 15. He responded about the justice and righteousness of God. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One. Because you judged these things, and they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. These who were made to drink the blood that had been the rivers had been turned into were those that had poured out the blood of the saints, and the angel said, This is right, this is just. You see, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what God is doing in your life, you can be certain that it is pure, that it is righteous, that it is just, and it is filled with loving kindness. Jesus at the cross said, His holiness, holy are you, O Lord God. You are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. They trusted in you and they were helped. Jesus knew as He was dying on the cross at the hands of sinful men that God was still a holy and just God. And that everything that was happening was in the hands of a righteous and true God. You see, in His perfect moral uprightness, God always acts for our best, for our highest good. God's plan for you is your highest good. And how every act in your life, you may not see it, you may not understand it, you will have to claim this by faith over and over and over again. But this is how the holiness of God will bring you comfort in your devastation. Because God is holy and just and perfectly pure, He can only do what is your best and the highest good for you. And you can claim that by faith, even as the Lord Jesus did. You remember Joseph? His brothers hated him. They threw him in a well, were going to kill him. And decided to take mercy and make some money off of him and sell him into slavery. And there he got lied about, thrown into prison, a dungeon. Was there many years. Finally... The Lord brought him out, placed him in the rulership of Egypt. His brothers came down and remember the conversation they had? He said to his brothers, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. You see, Joseph understood the perfect purity and holiness of God. You may have intended it for evil. God can take that which people do against us, the evil that people would do against us. God is able in His perfect holiness and purity to bring good out of that in our lives. That's how His holiness can bring you comfort and peace, even in your devastation. Now, because God is so pure and morally perfect, acceptance with Him on the basis of anything we can do is totally absurd and impossible. You could easier create the world than produce anything that would be acceptable to holy God. You see, first, we cannot meet the requirements of God's perfect purity. If sinless angels cannot, do you think you can? That you can meet the standards of perfect purity and holiness? God says our most righteous acts are nothing but filthy rags. 
Isaiah 64. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. The best thing you can do, whatever it might be, is nothing but a filthy rag in the sight of perfect purity. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Romans 3, Paul says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. You and I are included in that one, no, not one. There is absolutely no way. It is totally impossible for you to do anything that would be acceptable to perfect purity and absolute moral uprightness. But praise God, what His holiness has demanded, His grace has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in Hebrews chapter 10. It talks about what God did to meet the demands of the holiness of a pure God. Talking about the sacrifices of the Old Testament and how that is no comparison to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. He says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The Old Testament sacrifices were a reminder, but they could not take away sin. That's why they had to continue to be offered. But He, speaking of Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because His work was completed. You sit down when your work is finished. And because He offered the perfect sacrifice that would satisfy perfect purity, He sat down waiting for that time onward until His enemies be made a footstool for His feet. For by one offering, He has perfected for all time those who are holified. That word sanctified is the word holy. Same word used to speak of God as holy. Jesus perfected for all time those who He made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying this is a covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. Then He says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus. Not by our good works, not by anything we can do to merit going into His holy presence, but through the blood of Jesus. You see, the blood of Jesus covers our sins. When God sees us in Christ, He doesn't see our sinfulness. He doesn't see our impurity. He sees the holiness of Jesus. His blood not only covers our sins, but it cleanses us. It purifies us. Anything that touched the the holy altar of the Old Testament was sanctified. 
And when Jesus Christ died for us, He sanctified us. He holified us. That's a good word. Holified. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. When I am in Jesus, God sees perfect purity in me. Hallelujah. That's beyond imagination. God has given me a purity that's greater than the purity of the sinless angels. I don't have that doorbell button purity. I have the sunlight purity of Jesus. God has given me His righteousness. He has declared me righteous. He's removed my iniquity and He's purified me. The word saints means holy ones. God has declared us so. Hallelujah. What holiness has demanded, grace has provided for salvation in Christ. But not only for salvation, but for service as well. You see, not only must I depend totally and absolutely on Jesus for my holiness and purity to stand before God in heaven to have eternal life, but I must depend on Jesus and His absolute purity and holiness for serving God. I still can't offer anything to God that's acceptable to Him in my own strength, in my own self, because I'm tainted with sin. But through Jesus, I can offer an acceptable service to God because Jesus sanctifies it. He holifies it. Look in Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Jesus is our life. He's everything. Anything you do, you must do it in Christ in order for it to be acceptable to God. Holy God. Perfect purity. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, now listen, and righteousness and holification and redemption. The word sanctifies the word holy. Jesus is my righteousness. He is my holiness. He is my redemption. He is my wisdom. He's my everything. And you must come to the place that you realize in Christ I have it all, but apart from Christ I'm nothing. You cannot offer a single word in prayer that could reach perfect purity if it's not offered in Jesus and through His perfect purity and holiness and righteousness. Do you see? That's why we come to God through the blood of Christ. That's why everything we do must be done in Jesus. We're totally, absolutely, completely dependent upon Jesus for everything. He must be our life. He is all and in all. Everything. But that's why you can come to God. That's why you can serve God. Because of Jesus. God's holiness is His absolute superiority and separateness. He alone is the Creator. God's holiness, secondly, is His perfect purity and absolute moral uprightness. And if you're going to come in the presence of of holy God. You can only come through holy Jesus and His blood. Have you come to Jesus? 
Are you serving through Christ? Is He your all and in all? Is He your very life? Let's pray. Thank You, Father, that what Your holiness has demanded the Lord Jesus through grace has provided. Strip us of all self-confidence. Strip us of all pretense of purity. Show us how we truly are. May we call upon Your purity, Lord Jesus, Your perfect sacrifice, Your blood to cleanse us. May we realize the holiness, Your holiness, that we can have through You. In Jesus' name, Amen.